NPR. This is the Indicator from Planet Money. I'm Darren Woods, joined here by Waylon Wong and Planet Money's very own Jeff Guo. Welcome to the show again. Oh, it's so great to be back. Hello. Happy Friday. The three of us are back together here to talk about what has happened in economics and business and industry this week. We've got people in their scam era. I've got an indicator about text message scams. Speaking of scams, I got a crypto story for you all. (laughs) Haha, just kidding. We take no position on crypto. And I'm going to pay tribute to an important figure in economics who sadly passed away this week. That's all after the break. Support for this podcast and the following message come from Humana. Employees are the heartbeat of your business. That's why Humana offers group dental, vision, life, and disability plans designed to protect them. Exceptional service, broad networks, and modern benefits. That's the power of human care. This message comes from NPR sponsor E-Trade from Morgan Stanley. Take control of your financial future with E-Trade. No matter what kind of investor you are, their tools and resources can help you be ready for what's next. Now when you open an account, you can get up to $1,000 with a qualifying deposit. Terms apply. Learn more at etrade.com slash NPR. Investing involves risks. Morgan Stanley Smith Barney LLC. Member SIPC. E-Trade is a business of Morgan Stanley. This message comes from NPR sponsor Arctic Wolf. Their researchers have released the Arctic Wolf Lab's 2024 threat report. Why will 2024 be a volatile year for cybersecurity? Learn more and get your copy now at arcticwolf.com slash NPR. Indicators of the week. Jeff, what do you got? So my indicator for this week is two, as in the U.S. government has just sued two of the world's largest cryptocurrency marketplaces. One's called Binance and the other one's called Coinbase. And this is big news because this appears to be the start of a serious regulatory crackdown on crypto. I feel like we've been waiting for this to happen, potentially, right? It's been like, what's the government going <laughs> to yes. do? Are they going to bring the hammer down? Right, right, exactly. Because right now, crypto, it's kind of in this unregulated wild, wild west. And this could be the beginning of the end. Um, so let me break it down. The federal agency that is going after these crypto marketplaces is called the SEC, the Securities and Exchange Commission. And the SEC sets rules for how you can sell investment products like stocks and bonds. Right. These are rules meant to protect people from getting scammed, like on the stock market. Right. And a big question in recent years is, do any of those rules apply to the world of crypto? And that issue boils down to whether these crypto coins and tokens, whether they are investment products or not. If they're investments, then the SEC can regulate them. And the definition of an investment, according to the Supreme Court, is, and I'm going to paraphrase here, money that you put toward a common enterprise with the expectation of profit derived from other people's efforts. So the SEC is arguing that a lot of crypto is basically just like buying a company's stock. Jeff, didn't you do an indicator of the week where you talked about Taylor Swift, (laughs) one Taylor Swift asking Pretty much the same question when she got asked to endorse crypto. She asked if crypto was an unregistered security. 
in Taylor we trust? It was a very good question. <laughs> it highlighted a real ambiguity in the law because on the other side of this, crypto people are saying, no, buying crypto is not like investing in a company. It's more like buying a thing, uh, a commodity, like gold or something. And that would get regulated by a whole different government agency, the CFTC, which regulation advocates say is less strict than the SEC. Anyway, the SEC is going to battle this all out in the courts. The whole process could take years. But if it wins, it would have the power to impose a lot of rules and regulations on the buying and selling of crypto, which might make the crypto marketplace safer, might make it more mainstream, or it might just force all these crypto companies to flee the U.S. entirely. Maybe they could all move into Sam Bankman-Fried's old condo in the Bahamas. It's big enough. Well, Jeff, I'm glad we got one more Taylor Swift reference in from you. Now we're going to go to our next indicator, which is about scammers. My indicator is $330 million. That is how much Americans reported losing to text message scams in 2022. That's according to data released this week by the Federal Trade Commission. And okay, here's what really made me do a double take when I read this press release. The FTC says this figure, $330 million, is more than double what it was in 2021. And the FTC says most fraud doesn't even get reported to them. So their numbers are probably undercalculating the actual amount of scamming that is happening. And of course, it's unevenly distributed. It's not like we all lose one dollar. Some people lose thousands and thousands. Exactly. The FTC says the median loss for these scams is a thousand bucks. Wait, so people actually click on those shady links to get the free Starbucks gift certificates? Yeah. So there's a few different kinds of text messages. And the FTC says the common thread is that most of them impersonate big companies. So sometimes it's what you're describing, Jeff, when you get a text message that's like, oh, you won some kind of free gift from like a big brand you've heard of, like Starbucks or something, and you click through. Joanne's fabrics. Other times... Did you get one from Joanne's Fabrics? No, I just thought it'd be funny. I'm sorry. I got really excited because I was like, that's the one I would click on if it was like, oh, the craft store. A lifetime's worth of gold lame. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Another example of a scam is you get a text saying, this is Wells Fargo or another big bank. Did you attempt a purchase of this very specific amount at Walmart? Reply yes or no. And so what happens, the FTC says, is that when you engage with these text messages, either by clicking a link or responding, eventually you end up in a place where you're asked to give your credit card information or your social security number. Or your password. Yeah. And then and then you're... Game over. Ga- then it's game <laughs> over. Yeah, exactly. And the FTC says that it started getting a lot of reports of text fraud in the first six months of the pandemic. And it's just kept going and going. And really, from a scammer's perspective, it makes a lot of sense to be texting instead of emailing because the FTC says basically people will open every text message they get. Like the open rates are much higher than an email. Guilty as charged. Right. I mean, I think we're all used to ignoring emails. But when you get a text message, we're not quite, you know, conditioned in the same way to ignore texts. I guess this is a call to be more skeptical about who's texting you. So the lesson is leave more people on red. That's what you're saying. Yeah, exactly. And if you get any suspicious texts, you can report them to reportfraud.ftc.gov. You can also mark the text as spam through Google or Apple, depending on what kind of phone you have. I know I've done that before. All right, Darian, your turn. What do you got for us? My indicator is eight, as in the median black household's wealth in the U.S. is roughly eight times smaller than that of white households. I knew there would be a gap. I didn't think it was going to be that high. 
Yeah, and I'm raising this gaping disparity because of this powerful letter from 2020 that I've been reading on how economists think about race. I was prompted to read this letter because its author, the economist William Spriggs, died this week. William Spriggs was a professor at Howard University. He was the first black chief economist for the union group AFL-CIO, and he also served as an assistant secretary of labor under Obama. I saw so many really moving tributes like out of all over econ Twitter from people that he had mentored and worked with. I saw even the White House put out a statement. Yeah, and that's why I read this letter that he'd written. It, it was a blast to the economics profession, particularly about how their models treat race. When economists try to predict something like, say, how much wealth somebody might gain by the age of 40. To get that wealth number, economists will throw in a bunch of characteristics into the mix. These are things like education and experience on the job or whether somebody's male or female and often race. So if you're black and have a college education, the model might predict you have this much saved up. Or if you're white and a high school dropout, you might have that much saved up. But regardless of things like education or experience, you know, one constant theme is that if you're black, that'll likely bring down your predicted wealth or your wages or your likelihood of employment. Basically, in these models, you get this black penalty. And, and that is an accurate reflection of, of the kind of racist world we live in. It is. But one thing he was really irritated by, and which he went into in that letter, was that economists shouldn't just accept that there is this black penalty and then just shrug their shoulders and say, we don't know why this is. In William Spriggs' mind, this translates into, quote, African Americans are inferior until proven otherwise. Wow. Of course, a lot of economists do take racism seriously, and there is a whole literature on this. But this letter, among other things, makes a call for economists to change their burden of proof. One example could be, basically, instead of having a black characteristic in these models, you might rethink it and maybe instead have a racism characteristic. You know, essentially, this was a letter to call things as they are and not to be so skeptical of the existence of discrimination. Call things what they are. Those are words to live by. This episode was produced by Brittany Cronin with engineering by Josephine Neonai. It was fact-checked by Sierra Juarez. Bailey is your senior producer. Kate and Kenan edits the show. And the indicator is a production of NPR. Support for NPR comes from ADP. Say you're in HR and a solar flare adds an extra hour to each day. How would this impact business? ADP designs forward-thinking solutions to help your business take on the next anything. ADP. Always designing for people. Support for NPR and the following message come from Rosetta Stone, the perfect app to achieve your language learning goals no matter how busy your schedule gets. It's designed to maximize study time with immersive 10-minute lessons and audio practice for your commute. Plus, tailor your learning plan for specific objectives like travel. Get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off and unlimited access to 25 language courses. Learn more at rosettastone.com NPR. All that sitting and swiping, your body is adapting to your technology. Learn how and what you can do about it. I really felt like the cloud in my brain kind of dissipated. Once I started realizing what a difference these little bricks were making, there's no turning back for me. Take NPR's Body Electric Challenge. 
Listen to the series wherever you get your podcasts.